turn to the book of Job, the book of Job, and we're going to read two of the proof texts uh, that are given uh, related to the, um, the part of the catechism that we're looking at today, and uh, the, the, the section that we're looking at in the book of Job, we'll begin and read two verses in Job 9, verses 2 and 3, and then from Job 15, verses 14 through 16. We'll start off, though, with Job 9, verses 2 and 3, and let me invite you as you're able, let's stand in honor of the reading and the hearing of God's Word. Job 9, beginning verse 2. I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. And then from Job 15, Job 15 verses 14 through 16. These are the words of Eliphaz the Temanite as he's recorded in saying in Job 15 verse 14, what is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous. Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints. Yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water. May God bless today the reading and the hearing of his word, and let's join again in prayer. Gracious God, as we open the scriptures and we meditate upon the teachings that are contained uh, not just in a single verse or two verses, but in the whole constellation of all the scriptures uh, regarding uh, who we are and who thou art and what salvation is. Uh, give us wisdom and give us insight. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, we are continuing today this ongoing series through the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, and we, when we get to some parts of it, it'll be as supplemented by the, the Baptist Orthodox Catechism. And it was called, this uh, catechism has been called a book of comfort. Uh, it has been one that many believers over the generations have found to be spiritually uh, helpful in learning about the gospel. And as has been pointed out even in the introduction, we said before, um, it's a catechism that is, uh, it, it is um, simple enough to be like <laughs> milk for a newborn babe in Christ, but it's also uh, got meat on the bones so that even the, the most mature Christian can find things that are savory and encouraging. Um, we've noted before that the 129 questions in the Heidelberg Catechism are spread out over 52 Sundays. And we've also noted there's a, there's a three-part sort of superstructure for this catechism. And the three parts have been uh, abbreviated as guilt, grace, and gratitude. Guilt, grace, and gratitude. And the first part of the catechism, of course, is about guilt. Or it's, it gives emphasis to what might, might be called the misery of man in sin apart from Christ. 
Uh, and what we learn in that first part is that God has a perfect law that he has given to men. And he has commanded men to keep this law that we are to, we are to perfectly, righteously, uprightly love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Likewise, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And when we hear this, though, we realize, we come to the realization that because of our fallen state, apart from Christ, outside of Christ, we cannot keep the law. Rather than love God, we hate God. Rather than love our neighbor, we hate our neighbor. And in fact, uh, we learned in, in some of the more recent lessons in the catechism that there's, there's nothing the unregenerate man can, eat, can do to please God. Nothing. He can do absolutely nothing to please God. Last Lord's Day, Ben was teaching, and uh, he looked at the part of uh, the catechism that was asking the question whether, given our fallen state, it is fair or just for God to require us to do that which we cannot perform. So we're in a fallen state. Is it fair or just for God to command us to keep the law, to love him uh, with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, but we, but, but we can't do it? Is it fair for God to command this? And I thought Ben uh, used a really good analogy if you heard him last time. He said, would it be fair if he went home and asked his, his daughter Magnolia to pick up a 50-pound weight? Um, she's too small to pick up a 50-pound weight. Uh, would it be fair or just or right for him to command her uh, to do that? And um, I like that analogy, but Ben pointed out that that analogy is, is not a true analogy to our circumstances because the catechism teaches that uh, we're not in our position due to our innocence. We are there by our own willful disobedience that we're not an innocent party. We have deprived ourselves. And so God is not unjust when he commands from us the keeping of his law. And if we had not inherited a fallen nature from our first parents and we had not chosen to commit actual transgressions ourselves, we might have kept his law. And so it, it, but it, what it shows is our need and our dependency upon God. At the end of uh, Ben's teaching last week, the part of the catechism we looked at last, it asked the question, uh, is not then God merciful? And the answer began, God is indeed merciful, but also just. So God makes these commands that we keep his law by this our misery is exposed, our guilt is exposed, but the Catechism also teaches us that Scripture tells us that God is merciful. God is merciful to sinners, but He is also just. And His justice requires satisfaction. He's merciful to us, but He's also just. And so with that teaching in mind, we turn the corner now from the first part of the catechism that is about guilt. And today we start unfolding the second part of the three major parts. And think about that. We're in February. Uh, we've got a ways to go. But, so we're going to talk for quite a bit 
about grace. And so we're, we're moving from the teaching about guilt to teaching about grace. And we'll start by looking at question 12. And again, Bonnie has uh, helpfully uh, put the questions on the back of the bulletin if you want to follow along there. And question 12 uh, asks this. It says, since then, by the righteous judgment of God, we deserve temporal, that means in this life, and eternal punishment. Is there no way by which we may escape that punishment and be again received into favor? So because of sin, we will suffer the consequences of it in this life. If we die apart from Christ, we will suffer the consequences of sin for eternity. But our, the catechism is asking, given these circumstances, is there any way we can escape? It acknowledges, first, our, our guilt. We are no longer innocent, and we, we admit that, we confess that. But this part of the catechism also acknowledges God's righteousness and God's justice. There must be some satisfaction made for our sin. Is there no way we might escape punishment and be received back into God's favor? Consider if you were, let's say, you were estranged from a family member or a friend. Once you had been close and you did something, you're not blaming the other person, you, re you recognize you did something that messed up this relationship. You messed up the relationship with your family member, or you messed up the relationship with your friend, or your brother, or your sister, whatever. And you might ask yourself, I'm responsible. Is there any way this rupture can be mended? And if I can draw an analogy, that, that's the position that a man has to come to, a woman has to come to when they begin to understand their spiritual state. They're not blaming God. They're not blaming anyone else. They're owning their own responsibility. And they're asking, is there anything that can be done to set things right? The answer given to question 12 is this. God will have his justice satisfied. And therefore, we must make this full satisfaction either by ourselves or by another. The teacher begins by stressing that God's justice cannot just be ignored. His righteousness cannot just be ignored, but it must be in the language used is satisfied. His justice must be satisfied. The biblical teaching of forgiveness is distinctive and it's not like worldly forgiveness. Usually when people talk about worldly forgiveness, they think, well, I did something wrong, and the, person, the other person will just forget about it. They'll just forget about it. Or someone does something wrong to you, and you think, I'm just going to be the bigger person, I'm going to be magnanimous, and I'm just going to forget about it. I'm going to wipe, wipe the slate clean. But the Bible teaches that God's forgiveness is not like that. It's not like uh, there was a blank chalkboard and you came and you wrote things all over it and God can just come and take the eraser and wipe it clean. And, and that's the type of, uh, of forgiveness that he gives. God doesn't give forgiveness like that. Why not? Because God 
is wholly and completely righteous and just. God is completely holy, righteous, and just. And so any sin against God must be satisfied. There must be something done to satisfy his righteousness. It would be more, here's an analogy that's better, not the chalkboard, but think about uh, in terms of a crime. Let's say a criminal offense is committed, the crime has been committed, and justice must be done. I've used this analogy before, excuse me for repeating it for those of you who've heard it before. But let's imagine a situation where someone has committed a horrible crime against you or someone you love. And perhaps some of you have had something like this happen before. I don't know. Maybe someone did something horrible to a parent or to your spouse or to your child. And that, that person is arrested and he confesses his crime and he is brought before the judge for sentencing. And you go there. You're a grieving family member. This terrible crime has been enacted against your loved one. And the judge comes into the court. The person has confessed the crime. And the judge is there. The fellow is standing before him. And the judge says, we well, you know, I know that, this, that he did this crime. He's confessed to it. We all know he did it. But I'll tell you what. I want to show you how merciful I am. And I want to show you how loving I am. And so I'm just going to let this guy go free. I'm just going to let him go. Now, if you were sitting there in that courtroom, would you begin saying, Oh, what a merciful judge. I'm so thankful he was so merciful. My guess is you would not be feeling that way. How would you be feeling? You'd be thinking, what an outrage. I want justice. I want justice to be done. So if we can draw a comparison, that's what sin is like before God. He doesn't just wipe the slate clean, but because He is a God of righteousness and justice, there must be some satisfaction for the crime, for the sin that has been committed. And our teacher in the catechism is coming at it from this perspective. And so he asks, or in the answer to question 12, he says basically someone has to make full satisfaction. And he puts forward two possibilities. That satisfaction can be made either by ourselves or by another. Either we can make satisfaction for our sin or another person can. And this leads us to question 13. Can we ourselves then make this satisfaction? The, the option is we can or someone else. Let's start with me. Can I make satisfaction for my sin against God? And the answer given is by no means. But on the contrary, we daily increase our debt. The teacher begins by considering whether or not we, by the dent of our own effort, can make things right with God. You know, I've sinned against God and maybe it 
you know, whatever age, uh, you're about to have a birthday, you're about to turn 59, and you say, you know, the first 59 years I didn't do so hot, um, I made a lot of mistakes, and, uh, but you know what? Come my birthday, I'm going to turn over a new leaf, and I'll start to pay back all the debt, and I will make satisfaction for all the wrongs that I have done. Um, well, is that possible? Well, this is where the two proof texts from Job are helpful. Job 9, verse 2. Job says, I know it is so of a truth, but how should man be just with God? If he will contend with him, he cannot answer him one of a thousand. I can't pay back one one thousandth of the satisfaction on the penalty. Or Job chapter 15, verse 14. What is man that he should be clean? And he which is born of a woman that he should be righteous? The question where the answer is he can't. All he does is drink unrighteousness. The teacher uses here a kind of financial analogy. If you look at the answer to question 13, by no means, but on the contrary, we daily increase our debt. It's an interesting financial analogy. I don't know that I've thought of it quite this way before, but the teacher in the catechism is basically telling us not only can we not address our debt against the righteousness of God by our own effort, not only can we not satisfied divine justice but our ongoing sin means that we continue to dig the pit even deeper and deeper and we learned about this didn't we this morning the passages in first john 1 8 if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us verse 10 if we say that we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us see if i say i'm going to turn over my i'm going to turn over a new leaf on my birthday i'm going to stop sinning against god Ugh, 1 John 1.8, 1 John 1.10. I can't do that. And so instead of getting out of debt, I dig the hole deeper and deeper. Let's say I owed someone a debt and I had to pay $10,000 a month on that debt. I had to pay $10,000 a month. But every month, I don't earn enough to be able to make the payment on that debt. And in fact, every month I have to borrow another 10,000 to add to the debt. And this happens every month, month after month, year after year. I can't make the payment and I have to borrow even more. I'm not an accountant or a financial advisor but I don't think under those circumstances you will ever be able to make satisfaction on what you owe. Can we ourselves make this satisfaction? By no means, the teacher says. What about somebody else? Perhaps somebody else could help us. Question 14. Can there be found anywhere one who is a mere creature able to satisfy for us? Maybe we have a good friend who will do it for us. Maybe we have a parent who loves us, a spouse, or a child who will be able to take care of this for us. Can there be found anyone else who is a mere creature able to satisfy for us? And what is the answer? None. 
For first, God will not punish any other creature for the sin which man hath committed. And further, no mere creature can sustain the burden of God's eternal wrath against sin so as to deliver others from it. This question reminds me overall of, uh, and I don't know how many people listen to Keith Green, one of the pioneers of contemporary Christian music, but he, has a, he had an old song that, that there was, the, the refrain was, you can pay it yourself or ask someone else, but who would be that nice? You can pay it yourself or ask someone else, but who would be that nice? So we're looking at the second option. You can't do it yourself. Can you ask someone else? And the teacher's answer comes back firmly. No, there are none. There's no one you can ask to do this. And he says that this is the case for two reasons. He says, first of all, God will not punish any other creature for the sin which another has committed. No one else can step in there. No mere creature can step in there for you. The proof text cited is Ezekiel 18.20, where the prophet wrote, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. So God will not allow someone else who is a mere creature to bear your sin. Maybe a father would volunteer to satisfy the iniquity of a son but God says, no, I will not accept this. Every man must stand on his own before me. He will have enough to answer for his own wickedness. Secondly, the teacher instructs us, and further, no mere creature could sustain this burden so as to be able to deliver another. God would not allow it. Neither would there be anyone who would be capable of doing that. The, one of the proofs given is Psalm 49, and in verses 7 and 8 it says, None of them, meaning no man, can by any means redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever. So this presents sinful men with a dilemma. We have a debt that we cannot satisfy and which no one else can satisfy for us. No fellow creature, no mere creature can satisfy this debt for us. Where are we to turn? Well, this leads us to our final question, question 15. What sort of a mediator and deliverer then must we seek for? Answer, for one who is very man and perfectly righteous, and yet more powerful than all creatures. That is, one who is also very God. Our redemption requires one who is very man, but a, a man who was and is perfectly righteous. And it requires one who is more powerful than all other creatures. That is, one who is very God. Among the classic proof texts that the teacher provides us, he makes reference to Romans 8.3, which says, God sent His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. The relief 
of our sin, the satisfaction of God's justice could only have come through one man who has ever lived, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are not many men who might have been our Savior. There is only one man who is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Very man, very God. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let me invite you to stand together. Let's join in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we give thee thanks for uh, the teaching of the scriptures and the way there are teachers that come along in history and help organize some of this material. We don't certainly look to the Heidelberg Catechism as, as inerrant, infallible. It's not God-breathed. But we do thank thee for the labors of of men who, who thought through the scriptures and thought through the, the orderliness of, of what is presented there with respect to the doctrine of salvation. Help us, O oh God, as we continue to meditate throughout this year. You've given us a year to look through this, this catechism and learn from it. Help us to learn more about, if we're believers, uh, our own salvation and to, and to let this be a springboard to know and appreciate and admire more what has been done for us through Christ. If there are others who have not yet uh, professed the faith, uh, let this be truly used as, as a tool of evangelism uh, to show forth what it is that Christians hold to, what the Bible teaches, and uh, enlighten our minds in the knowledge of the truth. And gracious God, we ask all these things in Christ's name and, and for, him, for his sake. Amen.